Welcome to the Broad Story Project. In these times of COVID-19, the world is a crazy jungle of contradictions. One place Broads instinctively turn to for solace is our memories, stories from our pasts that have shaped us and remain part of us, defining what we value and what gives us joy. Suez Jacobson leads this project. She is a writer, the executive producer of the film Wild Hope, and serves on the Broad's board of directors. Hi, and welcome to our podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Susan Osley. Susan, we're so happy to have you here with us. Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and about how you got involved with Broad's? Yes, thank you. Uh, I'm the Rio Grande Valley Broadband co-leader, and it's based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And my background is that I had 29 years teaching middle school. And part of what I did teaching middle school was to work with kids on environmental lessons and have them mentor kindergarten kids on environmental lessons and little plays and making seed balls and throwing them around the bosque and stuff. So I did a lot of environmental stuff with my students because I liked being in the outdoors. I was raised in North and South Dakota for the most part. Not a heck of a lot of wilderness there, if any. <laughs> it wasn't until I went to summer school in Boulder that I started figuring out how magical wilderness areas were because I did some hiking in wilderness areas then. Susan described how she first got involved with Great Old Broads. I saw an article in the art magazine in 2009, I think, and it was talking about how it was the 20th anniversary of the Broads and they were going to have a Broad Walk in Escalante. So I called my younger sister, Nancy, who lives in Bozeman, Montana, and asked her, do you want to come down and go to this Broad Walk with me? It sounds like fun. So she flew in and we drove out to Escalante and stayed an extra four or five days so we could do some of the monitoring for illegal road use on the whole Narok Road east of Escalante. And we had a great time. And when I got back to New Mexico, I decided I want to be a great old broad. But there wasn't an active chapter at the time in Albuquerque. So in 2011, I sort of revived the one that had existed previously and kind of went from there. (laughs) Wow, that's so much what broads are about, getting out, and we haven't been able to get out. And I think many people, myself included, really did get involved with broads after being out on the land with them and, and finding that magical, those magical places and magical moments. Unfortunately, this year we haven't been out on the land, so many of us have turned to memories. I know I turned to the Boundary Waters experience I had. And so you must have had some pretty wonderful experiences. Can you share one of those that is bringing you solace in these days of challenging times, racial and economic and environmental injustice? Um, One of the uh, projects, that I've been working on sometimes with the broads, but a lot of times I work with the Native Plant Society people. I work with the Forest Service and um, with some birders have been doing bird surveys in this area is a place called Little Water Canyon. And it's out in the Zuni Mountains, which are west of Albuquerque and south of Interstate 40. And they're kind of these unknown mountains because they don't have any high peaks or anything. 
And so most people in Albuquerque have no idea that they even exist. We went out there when some friends of ours bought some land out there in the 70s and 80s. My girlfriend was telling me about this place that she had hiked to that had the biggest trees she'd ever seen in the Zuni Mountains, because unfortunately the Zunis were very heavily logged in um, the late 1800s and uh, also logged in the 80s. So this little canyon called Little Water Canyon um, had not been logged, and it had old-growth giant aspens and Douglas firs and, and ponderosas and It was spring-fed, and it's about the only spring still in existence on the south side of what's called Oso Ridge Lookout. So my friend told me about this, and my husband and I were talking, and we said, well, why don't we just go there? So we drove as far as we could, which wasn't very far, because the road was washed away so bad, even our four-wheel drive wasn't safe to take up there and then hike back into it, and it was a really magical place. I did some research and found out it was supposed to be protected as a research natural area, but nobody had ever done the paperwork and got it designated that way in the last forest plan, which I think was in 1985. We decided we should get better protection for it, possibly wilderness. I started rattling chains at the local uh, ranger district office and actually got the uh, forest supervisor and the hydrologist and some game and fish people and a bunch bunch of native plant society people and all kinds of different people to do a field trip up there and uh, made them aware that it existed. The spring, if we can keep cattle out of it, which we're working on, is very clear. I don't think it has any fish in it, but it's the only source of water on the south side of Oso Ridge. I feel like in honor of the people who told me about it in the first place and of a friend from the Native Plant Society, Sue Small, who actually grew up in that area and remembers swimming in the spring on hot summer days, they would hike over the top of the ridge and go down and swim there, that it was worth protecting and was worth writing comments about for the forest plan. And there's been birders working in that canyon and doing bird surveys that got it declared a research natural area since the 60s. The Zuni Indians were the ones who told John Trochet about this place and took him up there so he could see what was there and wanted protected and he wants it protected. So there's all kinds of people who are involved in Little Water Canyon and have been in the past. Sounds like an amazing place. Can you take us there? Can you tell us what the trees look like, what the water looks like, what the smells and sounds are like there in this special canyon? The trees are enormous. I had my husband hold up a walking stick in front of a Douglas fir, and it was wider than the walking stick. I believe that a little farther down than I've been, there are 42-inch in diameter Douglas firs. The aspen trees, many of them are probably 15 inches in diameter with the black bark on the bottom. 
like when they get older. The ponderosa pines are equally large, and there's beautiful bird life in there. I believe John has identified at least 22 kinds of birds. My botany friend from the Native Plant Society has found endangered orchids in that canyon. And the unique thing about it is that it has plants from both the northern part of the state and up in Colorado and all the way down into Mexico. And when you're in the canyon, if the walls are steep enough that you mostly only hear what's there. And often what's there are bears. You can see bear scat almost everywhere. People have seen mountain lions in there. Mostly you hear birds. If I were a more sophisticated birder, I'd probably see them. But I mostly hear them. And then other people tell me what they are. The way it smells is like wet dirt and ferns. And also there's a lot of the vanilla smell that you get off ponderosa pines, the ones with the big plates because they're very old. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing wild place. What do you think it tells us about what we value in life compared to what our society often tells us we value when we put so much time and effort into this the way you have done with all these partners? I think it tells you that if you value a place like that, you have to learn how to protect it. And it's been a really amazing learning experience because we got a hold of our legislators, Martin Heinrich and Social Tourist Small. Her mother was the one who used to swim in the spring when she was a little girl. Her mother-in-law, I'm sorry, Sue Small. We did manage to have a field trip where we drove them as close as we could and then hiked down into the canyon with him. And Martin Heinrich's representative, Alex Eubanks, has been back two or three times, sometimes with other people, but he's really fascinated by the area. We know that our legislator is aware that it exists. I've discussed it with him in person and the fact that it needs protection. I requested it be wilderness designation. I'm not real optimistic that I'm going to get that, however. Trying to keep people alerted to its status and to the importance of keeping cattle out of the spring area. And we've worked with both the ranchers who had the permit for that area. One just gave up his permit, and the other one has done what he can to install at his own expense a solar spring. And so for the most part, his cattle can use that instead of going to Little Water Canyon. So it also has given us a chance to work with some of the local ranchers and try to do some positive collaboration with them. Protecting a place like Little Water Canyon for the people who have been there before, for the people who are going there now, and for my kids and grandkids is wonderful. This weekend, my daughter took a friend and went out to the area She's getting more and more committed to protecting that area. The people who are involved in the protection of it, which are mostly the Zuni Indians, probably some Akama Indians and Navajos, are aware of it and aware of its importance because that's important to her. 
Well, what a great story of, of you know, intergenerational and collaboration and but I think it all it all goes back to having been on the landscape, had that experience of those huge trees you described. Many BROADS members get involved in citizen science projects. This is where they gather data used to inform land management agencies, such as the Forest Service, about ecosystem conditions or health. Susan talked to Suez about a recent project she's taken on. I've been working on identifying invasive species, and I'm working with people from the Native Plant Society. And I was trained in in using an app called Wild Spotter on the Santa Fe National Forest. So I thought, what if I did that in the Sandias? And so my friend from the Native Plant Society and I came up with a webinar on invasive plants and links to different um, handouts that you can print for yourself or you can just have on an iPad or an iPhone and look at things. Also, two different apps that you can use. Wild Spotter is one, and the other one, which is, I think more commonly used is called iNaturalist, and I think we're actually going to use iNaturalist because it covers not only plants but also butterflies and birds and fish and trees, all kinds of stuff. Doing citizen science when you're on a hike is something that can be done by looking at the plants and learning to identify plants that are native and plants that are invasive, and then reporting them to the Forest Service, especially in places where they're doing landscape restoration, because a lot of times forest restoration projects the first year after have a lot of invasives that come up, cheatgrass, mullein, different invasives like that. Learning to identify those, report them to a database, and then learning how to look up whether or not the Forest Service has acted on your recommendations, I think is a really useful part of citizen science. And you can do that hiking by yourself or in a small group. District rangers in the other parts of the Cibola, the Magdalena, the Mountaineer, and the Mount Taylor area are all interested in this invasive plant training. You're certainly busy, and we're grateful for people like you who get out on the land and do this very important work. So thank you so much, and thank you for sharing the story of this amazing place, this little water canyon. Do you have any final comments you'd like to make before we wrap up? No, I just think it's an ongoing process, and it's something that I need to get uh, younger people involved in, and I think it's something that we need to be willing to listen to what tribal members have to say about these special places, too, because it's obvious that they've been using them for hundreds of years. Very important to involve the people who were here first in all of our land management practices as we move forward. Certainly a a wonderful point to make. Thank you. And thank you for being with us. It's been a pleasure to hear about your work. So important. Oh, thanks. Thanks for asking me. I appreciate being able to share that story. Don't miss the next episode of the Broad Story Project. 
You'll find links to other stories on our website under news.